0: chapter 17. We have a brief reading tonight, Exodus chapter 17 and verse 8. My title for this evening is Victory in the Valley. Um, So Exodus chapter 17, reading from verse 8 to the end of the chapter. As long as Moses' hands as long as Moses held up his hands the Israelites were winning but whenever he lowered his hands the Amalekites were winning when Moses' hands grew tired they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it Aaron and Hur held his hands up one on one side one on the other so that his hands remained steady till sunset So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Amen. You'll notice a real change of pace this evening as up until now we have been covering the contents of several chapters in each study. In fact, next week we'll be covering more chapters than we will be verses tonight, so enjoy the recovery time. Um, But what what I wanted to do as we took the book of Exodus as a whole, I wanted to spend a couple of studies in these chapters 15 through 18, because that's the material that deals with Israel's journey through the wilderness to Mount Sinai. And it's full of instruction on what we might call the Pilgrim Path. And what we're going to see again this evening is that the Pilgrim Path for God's people, for Israel then and for ourselves now, is a challenging course. Indeed, God took Israel along it for that very reason. And he does the same with ourselves today. As we read these chapters charting Israel's journey from Egypt to the promised land, I think we're reminded of Paul's words to the recent, the relatively new converts at Lystra, Iconium and Antioch. This is what he said to them as he was leaving them. Acts 14 verse 22 He said, we must go through many hardships to enter into the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God that Paul is referring to there is the kingdom in its final glorious form. And he is insisting that we understand that the pathway to it is through the difficulties and the challenges of this age. But here's what we must grasp. Though the wilderness, this world, is full of hardships and hazards, these are the tools that God uses to train us and to develop our trust in him and to teach us to fight the good fight. Do you remember last time how we saw that God used hunger and thirst to train his people to trust him? And what we're going to see tonight, that was through the provision of the manna and the water, yes. And what we're going to see tonight is that God uses the threat posed by the Amalekites to train his people how to fight. And to discover the reality of God's protection and presence with his people in the fight. So please note that. As God takes his people through the wilderness, he wants them to discover his provision and his protection. So tonight we want to learn how to fight. And to discover some principles of spiritual warfare that will help us in our journey along the pilgrim path. You may have noticed that on this occasion, unlike previously, God did not lead his people on a roundabout route so that they could avoid conflict. This time he led them to it. Because what happened with the Amalekites, it happened at Rephidim. And that's the same location where he guided them to last time and where he provided water from the rock for them. But just after leaving Egypt, when Israel was just coming out of Egypt, Exodus tells us that God prevented them from encountering the Philistines because he knew they were in no position to fight at that stage. But not now. It's time for Israel to grow up and to learn how to defeat their enemies. And we too shall have to take our place on the battlefield. The difference is that our theater of conflict has moved from the physical... To the spiritual. But don't think the battle is any less real for that. Paul tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But against spiritual wickedness in high places. Dark forces. Malevolent forces. Ephesians 6.12. He says to the Corinthians. That the weapons of our warfare. Are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We will come up against spiritual forces that we need spiritual weapons to contend with them. And we confront enemies within and without who will seek to block our progress on the pilgrim path so let's learn the art of war this evening as we consider Joshua and Moses, <clears throat> the valley and the hilltop, the sword and the staff, and the scroll and the altar. I wonder, did you notice those things as we went through that reading? <clears throat> We're going to start by getting to know our enemy. Meet the Amalekites. <clears throat> the Amalekites were every bit as serious a threat to Israel as were the Egyptians. The difference was that the Egyptians came seeking to defeat the Israelites so that they could return them to slavery. Their aim was the Egyptians wanted to bring them back. The Amalekites sought to prevent Israel's progress towards their promised inheritance. The danger that they presented was of stopping Israel moving forward. But both threats were existential to Israel. It's worth taking a moment to understand who the Amalekites were. And if you want to read of their origins, you go to Genesis 36, verse 12, and verse 16. The Amalekites were descended from Esau. And that gives us a clue as to what they represent in the spiritual battle facing God's people. Esau is forever associated with the flesh. Do you remember how he elected to sell his spiritual birthright for a bowl of stew? Esau is profane. He's driven by the flesh. And his descendants, the Amalekites, Continued in that degenerative direction. It is the Amalekites alone. Who are referred to in scripture. As the sinners the Amalekites. First Samuel 15 verse 18. And they are intractable enemies of Israel. This incident is commented on in Deuteronomy 15 verse 17 to 18, it describes how the Amalekites attacked Israel when they were weary and worn out and at their weakest point. This is what it says. Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. So you get the picture? Even after Israel entered and settled in Canaan, the attacks by the Amalekites continued. In the book of Judges, we read of them coming against Israel. King Saul had to fight the Amalekites, as did King David Now, if you've been a Christian for more than 10 minutes, you will know that we also face forces, both without and within, that seek to prevent our progress and to bring us to a spiritual halt and standstill. The flesh, our old nature, That is all that we are apart from God's grace. It seeks to reassert itself and to hinder or halt our development into the person that God has saved us to become. So let's not be naive about the threat that lies within, never mind that which surrounds us in the world, in the wilderness. (coughs) So we're going to think about the fight. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Number one, where was the battle fought? Well, the answer to that is in the valley, on the plain, under the command of Joshua. Wielding a sword. We're told that. That's where the battle was fought. Second question. Where was the battle won? And maybe you say well. Where else can the battle be won. Other than where it's fought. But that's precisely the point. The point that Moses. Moses emphasized to Joshua the day before the battle commenced, verse 9. The battle on the ground the following day was real, no doubt it was fierce, but victory was secured with Moses on the mountain, with his staff raised in the air. This is not me adding to this. This is just unpacking the text. And Israel's progress throughout the battle correlated perfectly with whether the staff was in the air or not. And we've got to be careful not to allow our imaginations to completely run away with us. But surely we can see picture book lessons for ourselves in this. And what I want to do in the remainder of our time is just to offer some applications that will help us see the spiritual principles of warfare that will help us in the battle as we make our way along the pilgrim path to the promised inheritance. I have four applications. Four things to see in the text. Number one, the wielding of the sword. There's only one thing to be done with an Amalekite. You cannot afford to entertain an Amalekite. You must put him to the sword. No accommodation can ever be reached with an Amalekite if we are going to continue to make progress along the pilgrim way, then we must be ruthless in our relationship with the flesh, our old nature. And the New Testament is both emphatic and explicit on this. Galatians 5, verse 24 and 25 Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, listen to this from Colossians 3, verses 5 to 10. Think of Joshua wielding the sword against the Amalekites and move up a level. Paul says this, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways. In the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. God has given us his word, the sword of the spirit, Ephesians 6, to attack all Amalekites that seek to squat in our lives. For they have no right to be there any longer. But knowing the truth. And having the Amalekites exposed in our lives. It's not enough. As James instructs us. We must be doers of the word. We must wield the sword in our lives. We must act on what we see. And we must continue to deal with what God progressively reveals to us as we advance along our pilgrimage to glory. So that's the first one, the wielding of the sword. Second application, the raising of the staff. By this stage in the book of Exodus, we know full well what the staff of Moses, sometimes called the staff of God, what it represents. It represents the power of God introduced into the situation. And for us, it is a picture of prayer and the power of God that prayer brings into our lives. It is the symbol, the raised staff is the symbol of where our strength is found. It is not found in ourselves, in our own resources, but in the strength and succor that the Lord provides for us in our weakness and need. And the lesson could not be any simpler or clearer. If we are going to overcome in the valley, in the fierceness of the fight, then we must be people committed to prayer. There is no other way. If Paul starts his famous passage on spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6, the Christian's armor, if he starts it like this in verse 10, be strong in the Lord in his mighty power, and then he lists the the, the armory the, the armor that's available to us, but he concludes like this, verse eighteen and nineteen of Ephesians six here's how it all works, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me. Four times he says, pray, 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 pray. To know the Lord's strength. Paul knows where spiritual strength is to be found. And it is found in the place and practice of prayer. What a lesson for an individual Christian to learn and for a local church to learn. That's where spiritual power, strength is found, in prayer. What are we to make of the role of Aaron and her and their assistance to Moses? Well, at a very base level, I would say this. Ensure that you have such people in your life. Brothers and sisters who are committed to upholding you in the fight. How vulnerable you become if you do not cultivate meaningful Christian fellowship, which results in mutually supportive prayer. And I would say, take that seriously, my fellow soldier. But perhaps we can consider this incident at another level again. Who were Aaron and her? Well, they were priests. Aaron, of course, would was to become Israel's high priest. And Moses, then, he becomes the mediator of the covenant, the law. And I think we've got a great picture here. How are the demands of the law, God's will for his people? How are they to be met, to be upheld in our lives? Well, it will only happen through the priestly intercessions and gracious help given by our exalted high priest. You see, we can look to a different mountain in the battle. The writer to the Hebrews tells us where to look. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weakness, but we have one who was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, we are never on our own in the fight. In one sense, Christ is with us in the valley through the ministry of the indwelling spirit And the sword of God's word. In another sense. He is our seated high priest. In the presence of God. Bearing us on his heart. And making intercession for us. In all of our need. So we have the wielding. Of the sword. And we have the raising of the staff. Two great things to get the hold of. In the spiritual battle. Thirdly. We have the writing of the scroll. Verse 14 is interesting isn't it? God instructs Moses to ensure. That what happened that day. Was remembered by the people. And specifically by Joshua. Make sure that Joshua hears it. God wants his people never to forget that their victory in the valley was secured by their mediator on the mountain. The secret of the sword's success was the raised staff. Why was it so vital that Joshua heard the true account of Of where victory was ultimately won. Well I would suggest for at least two reasons. Number one. It was Joshua who led the troops into battle. And it was by his sword that the Amalekites were defeated. But the reality was that Joshua was only the instrument of victory. And not its cause. He must never think that the victory was his own doing. Second reason, Joshua would have to lead Israel into many more battles in the future. And he must never make the mistake of thinking that he was sufficient in himself to defeat a single enemy. Israel without God on their side and present with them was nothing. And it's wonderful to be able to say that Joshua learned the lesson well. Listen to him nearing the end of his life, and he's addressing the nation now in possession of the land. How had it come about? What truth must Israel hold going forward in his absence? Well, this is from Joshua 23. Verses 1 to 3, after a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am very old, you yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Verses nine to 11, "The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you writes a thousand, "Because the Lord your God fights for you, just as He promised. So be very careful. To love the Lord your God. Would we ever be so foolish to think that we could live the Christian life in our own strength? A prayerless life would suggest precisely that. I've got what it takes. As Major Ian Thomas, the founder of Capenry Bible College said, you'll hear, me, you'll hear me quote this often, there is only one person who can live the Christian life and that is Christ. So let's make sure we're living it in his strength and not our own. The wielding of the sword, the raising of the staff The writing of the scroll. Fourthly and finally, the building of the altar. Moses made his own contribution to ensure that the lesson of victory over Amalek would not be forgotten. He memorialized it with an altar which he called The Lord is my banner. If you're using an older version, Jehovah Nisai, the Lord is my banner. This is wonderful. Moses reminds Israel whose colors they are fighting under. The Lord Himself is their standard. The unavoidable implication of that is that the battles is. The Lord's. He is the one. Who ultimately opposes. And defeats. The Amalekites. They are his enemies. Now there's a difference of opinion. Among commentators. As to what is intended by the phrase. Because hands were lifted up against. Or to. To. The throne of the Lord. Is that describing the dependence of the Israelites? Hands were lifted up to the throne of God in prayer. Or is it referring to the defiance of the Amalekites? You know, hands raised in resistance against the purposes And people of God. And I think I would happily side with the majority of commentators who favor the defiance of the Amalekites interpretation. It makes better sense of the rest of the verse. Because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. But also the point about Israel's dependence on the power of God would be recorded in the scroll anyway. They were powerless without the raised staff. But the altar declared the unceasing commitment of God himself to destroy his people's enemies. The Lord will be at war with the Amalekites from generation to generation. Is there any greater truth than this to get the hold of in the weariness of the battle? We are on the Lord's side. We are under his banner. This is his fight. And even when we experience setbacks and are forced to lick our wounds, the outcome is no less secure. So if, like me, you know what it is to lose many a battle, make sure to visit the altar. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my Banner. I stand under his colors. I'm enlisted on his side. The sword, the staff, the scroll, and the altar. Child of God making your way through the wilderness. Do not travel without any of them. Don't go into the battle unprepared and ill-equipped. Arm yourself with God's protection for his people. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlereaghfellowship.com. God bless.